Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. Last week we finished a three-part series on policing. We discussed how according to recent studies, only 48% of Americans and 56% of Australians have a positive perception of the police. We did this series because of this. I personally feel this is an injustice done to the people who are the vast majority of whom want to change the world for the better and be of service. We discussed the facts that for all but a tiny fraction of police, their ultimate objective is not high arrests, it's having low crime rates. It's not punishing, it's preventing. And one of the keys to that is to get the general public to understand that we are all police and they are just the ones who get paid to do it full time. The focus is, as it should be, on wanting the public to work with the police, to make communities safer, for us all to understand that the way they get the public to want to be partners with them is by earning their trust, building a reputation, by applying the laws impartially and caring about the community and using their own common sense and using force only as a last resort. We talked about the broken windows theory and how showing respect for your community, i.e. fixing broken windows quickly, cleaning graffiti quickly, etc., has been linked to lower crime rates in multiple studies. We discussed utilizing the physical environment to stop crimes of opportunity. We talked about the challenges in recruiting and retention that police have because of the negative perception of the public. And we talked about the Ferguson effect, which one study shows that 72% of officers surveyed said they were less likely to investigate suspicious activity because they were afraid of being called racist. And we discussed, in my opinion, the crazy defund the police movement and crazy new laws like Proposition 47 in California that has led to exploding crime rates in the USA. We discuss these things not because this is an international show, but the reality is that Australia often follows trends in the United States. For example, just two years ago, 82% of Australians had a positive view of police, according to the ABS. Today, it's 56%. I urge you to listen to our podcast on policing if you missed that discussion on Change the World with Matt McQuinley, M-C-Q-U-I-N-L-E-Y, anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our Facebook page, Change the World with Matt McQuinley. There's also an excellent eight-part podcast series on leadership with leadership consultant Gwen Meyer that anyone would benefit from, be they a coach, manager at work, teacher, parent, volunteer, in short, anyone who deals with people. Today, we're doing a bonus session with the last two weeks' previous guests on domestic violence. The point was made to me by one of our guests not too long ago that we spend a huge amount of money and press, television, etc. on crimes that are a little bit more exciting like gangs and the war on drugs, etc. But even more people are hurt at home. We have in our studio today Derek McManus, who is a sniper, special ops diver, counterterrorism operative with the Elite Star Group which is the Special Tasks and Rescue Force. 
During a high-risk arrest, he was shot 14 times in five seconds by a high-powered rifle, and because of this situation, could not be reached to be given medical attention for three hours. After his full recovery two and a half years later, he returned to the police force and continued in law enforcement for another 24 years on full-duty status with the Star Group until his retirement in 2018, finishing up his 42 years in law enforcement. He now runs a public speaking training company called the Center for Human Durability. You can look into utilizing his services for your organization on his website, DerekMcManus.com, M-C-M-A-N-U-S.com. We also have retired Chicagoland Police Sergeant Marshall McQuinley, my father, full disclosure, on the line, who attained the rank of sergeant, whose assignments in his 26-year career included two and a half years in the gang task force, two and a half years in the domestic violence unit. He was a field training officer for six years, in the juvenile department for four years, and in patrol for nine years. Some quick stacks on domestic violence before we dig in. 20 people per minute in the United States are physically abused in the United States. One out of four women suffer severe violence. One out of seven men. One out of three women and one out of four men have some sort of physical violence at home, be it pushing, shoving, or slapping. One out of seven women and one out of 25 men are hurt severely at home. One out of 10 women are raped at home. There are over 20,000 calls daily in the United States to the domestic abuse hotline. Intimate partner violence is 15% of all violent crime. Only 34% of those actually injured, though, seek medical attention. 46.7% of women are raped by somebody they know, and 44.9% of men. 72% of all murder-suicides are with intimate partners. One out of 15 children each year are exposed to partner violence, and in Australia, the numbers are a little bit worse. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, one out of six women and one out of nine men are physically or sexually abused before the age of 15 at home. In 2014 and 2015, one out of six women and one out of 16 men suffered physical or sexual abuse at home. A more recent study has moved those numbers to one out of four women and one out of 13 men. In 2014 and 2015, eight women and two men were hospitalized daily for domestic violence at home. 2.1 million women and men saw violence towards their mother before the age of 15. 820,000 witnessed violence against their dad. Of course, that cycle continues. These children that were in this situation were two to four times more likely to grow up and end in the, in the same situation. One out of six girls and one out of nine boys in Australia before the age of 15 were physically or sexually abused. In the age group of women between 25 and 44, partner violence is the highest health risk factor for them. In 2015 and 2016, the cost of violence against women in Australia was estimated to be $22 billion, or roughly $1,000 for every man, woman, and child in Australia. Indigenous Australians have it even worse. It's estimated that you should add another $4 billion to the $22 billion for the violence against them that goes unreported and that also goes unreported to, for the homeless. Indigenous Australians are two times as likely to have a homicide in a domestic violence situation, 32 times more likely to be hospitalized, and seven times more likely to be victims of child abuse.
So what can we do to try to reverse this trend and help those in that situation? We'll now turn it over to Sergeant McQuinley, who spent considerable time in the domestic violence unit, for his thoughts. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah, those were some uh, pretty staggering statistics that you were putting out there, and I can anecdotally get behind those statistics. Yeah, I, I don't have any uh, hard stats the way that you did, but that certainly seems to be the trend, and uh, that's a horrible situation. That thing is beginning to grow exponentially, and uh, the victims of this thing are still very reluctant to uh, come forward might be because of uh, some social stigma attached to it my husband boyfriend life partner whatever you want whatever they are isn't happy with me and it, therefore it must be my fault maybe there's some social uh, stigma behind that that keeps people from reporting it could be just shame that this is going on in their home it could be that uh, their children of reasons why it's not being reported, but I would think those are some of the major reasons that, that they're not being reported. Another point that you touched on briefly there was about the film industry and their reporting or producing products about domestic violence there. There's a few of them out there, but I don't think we're ever going to find Meryl Streep or Helen Mirren or somebody that's a big box office draw being a victim in one of these films. And I'm not trying to belittle the people that are in there in those films, but they just don't seem to have a big box office draw. It might be something that Hollywood, Bollywood, and points in between are not interested in doing and i don't understand that because the film industry is usually a kind of a social leader in things like domestic violence and change life change becoming change agents so i don't understand all of that is going on with that but it certainly seems to be that it's kind of taking a back seat to shoot them up drug dealers and we're going to crush organized crime and those things get the lion's share of attention from film producers pretty much worldwide. It's going to have to be addressed sooner or later. One of the uh, problems that, that I saw locally and some of my other peers agreed with was that even in our local policing agencies, we would much prefer to be chasing down the bad guys with the shots fired calls and the burglaries and all of that kind of stuff. But if we do the numbers, if we run the numbers, and I did, domestic violence is, I can't remember exactly, but I want to say it was three to four times more often reported. And that's just reporting than shots fired calls, gang calls, anybody that was even remotely looked like it might be a gang issue, I included in those stats. We used to joke that uh, one guy on the street corner is a drug dealer, two is a gang meeting, and three is a drug deal. But so I included all of those types of things in that. And still came up, domestic violence was hugely overabundant in those stats. And we all know that underreported. Yet we continue to address those other things that might be a little bit sexier crime and therefore more attractive for police officers to attack. Derek, do you have any idea of the amount of resources were applied when you were on the force towards domestic violence versus other things like gangs or, well I guess you don't have a big gang problem in Adelaide well maybe motorcycle gangs but um, yeah. that kind of thing do you have an idea of the resources allocated versus other areas the 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 actual statistics the actual numbers I don't know but I do know that we've had a couple of very significant domestic violence matters in Adelaide and they have gained public attention media attention and draw more focus to the problem of domestic violence we now have organisations like White Ribbon, which is a worldwide organisation. I'm an ambassador for the White Ribbon organisation. 
I helped to organise a breakfast which has about 1,300 people seated for breakfast just to talk about domestic violence and build awareness around it. We have people like the Zara Foundation run by Amin Abrahimzadeh. They were at the convention centre for a function. Mother and father were separated. There was domestic violence order, but he came into the convention centre and stabbed her to death in front of a crowd. And this gained media attention, brought it to the fore. There was a, a investigation, uh, there was essentially a royal commission. It wasn't a royal commission, but it was that, that level of inquiry into it. And the police department threw a tonne of resources at domestic violence and still are doing now, throwing a tonne of resources at it. But the problem I see in a major way is that we are throwing resources after the event has occurred. We are responding to it. We are not being proactive about it. Um, and I've got to say that, you know, White Ribbon Organisation is an awareness program, which is building an awareness that this is not just an isolated problem, but again, it's just an awareness program. Now, I'm an ambassador for White Ribbon and Australia, that organisation has gone through a major change. There's now a new uh, management structure behind it, and I'm still part of that. But it is building awareness that there's a problem. We don't have any proactive solutions to it, which is where I think the problem is. And this relates not just to domestic violence, it relates to PTSD, depression, anxiety, suicide. We need to put things in place before these things occur so that they don't. And, and I can elaborate on that, but I, uh, I think we need to go through a break. All right, Eva, let's hear from our sponsors. Radio Italia Uno is inviting you to our very special once-a-year gala night on Saturday evening, the 28th of August, at the Marquee Club in Paradise. Tickets are $70, which includes a magnificent four-course meal, entertainment by Mumbo Italiano, and a spectacular floor show. Radio Italia Uno prides itself on inclusivity, warmth, friendship and community and what better way to celebrate than to attend this annual event simply call the station to book at 8212 3177 Radio Italia Uno's Gala Night August the 28th the surprises never end Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city. Mention Radio Dalia Uno and you'll receive a free 250 gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. I'm Anna Faruja of Chapel Funerals. My role as a funeral director is to guide you through the emotional process of saying goodbye to someone you love. I'm here to help you make all the necessary arrangements so that you and your family may have peace of mind and time to remember and celebrate the life of the person you've lost. When the time comes, I'm here for you. So please call me, Anna Faruja, at Chapel Funerals on 81825100.
Hi, this is David Heath, and I'm excited to be bringing my program Soundtrack of Your Life to Radio Italia Uno. Join me Friday nights at 7 for interesting guests, some great music, and plenty of fun. It's the best way to kick off the weekend. Soundtrack of Your Life, Friday nights from 7 until 9 on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Ti piace la musica? Hai voglia di metterti in gioco? Entusiasmo e personalità non ti mancano? Radio Italia 1 sta cercando te. Chiama l'82 123177 e anche tu avrai la possibilità di entrare a far parte del nostro team. Radio Italia 1, diamo voce alla tua voce. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome back. In our last section, we were just discussing the White Ribbon Foundation. Derek McManus, 42-year veteran of the Star Group, Special uh, Tactics Unit in South Australian Police Department. I'm going to turn it back over to him because he was really giving us some great points and information. Yes, I... One of the reservations I have a lot about much of this movement is that it is just about awareness now. Awareness is where we need to start. There's no two ways about it. And so these organisations have done extremely well at building awareness that there is a problem, but we haven't actually implemented any proactive solutions to eliminating the problem yet. We are still responding to them rather than eliminating them. And that's that's where I would like to see the next stage go. And hopefully that's what they've got in mind. I'm not in those, those organisations deep enough to implement change. And I have you know, my own things that I'm doing. But if there was you know, something happening in those organisations, I would certainly organize, uh, support it. But what Sergeant McQuinley was saying about things that he's noticed in America, I back them 100%, absolutely 100%. We sensationalise some of the stuff that happens in domestic violence and almost normalise it into our psyches, things like the movies and movies like Fatal Attraction. Now, that was a female stalking a male and killing his animals and his pets and traumatising him, traumatising the family. But that drew attention to it, but it just sensationalised it and everybody's going, oh, that was a great movie, and almost overlooking the fact that it was a domestic violence situation. One of the things that I feel victims of domestic violence struggle with when deciding when to report it or whether to report it because as sergeant mcquinley said uh, it's highly underreported. the victim believes in the offender they love the offender and they know that the offender is quite often respected by other people in society and if they go and say my husband or my wife is doing this to me then people won't believe them because they are so highly respected who's going to believe me I'm just the minimal uh, partner of this person. And there's another side to it in that you get into a relationship because you love someone and you don't actually want to denigrate them to the public. You would love them to fix the problem, but you don't want to denigrate them to other people. So you would, would you just want the solution to the problem, not making them hated or anything else until it gets to the point of somebody gets really, really bad badly hurt. Another thing is that sometimes they feel isolated in their social circles because they go, well, I'm the only one going through this. So if I talk to my my girlfriends, they won't want to talk to me. And you get further isolated. And these are all the things that we need to do something proactive to be able to help these people. And and I I, I would say there's, you know, five things. I I don't want to dominate the conversation. I can talk about this for hours. No, please continue. 
I, I, okay. I, I would love to hear what you think can be done proactively. And I'm sure Sergeant McQuinley feels the same way. Yeah, Absolutely. right. So, again, this is just building awareness for people. Actually implementing them is, is the next step on from that as well. But people need to know that there is a sense of optimism for the future, that there is something positive that will come out of it, and it's something that they can do. They need to believe that they can influence the future, right? There's lots of things that influence life, and sometimes we can't affect them. So we've got to give these victims a belief that when they speak out, when they take action, it will influence their future for the better. Because some people look at it and they go, oh, yeah, if I say anything, it's going to destroy my life. No, there's got to be a belief that that sense of optimism, which is the first point, that sense of optimism that if I say something, it is going to get better. The next thing we've got to do is have a passion for the future, the life that we want. And it's not just for us, it's for our children, it's for our family, it's for our friends. If we speak out, it will be a symbol that it's the right thing to do and watch, there is something good that's going to come out of this. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't see is that when people stay in a domestic violence situation and they have children in that domestic violence situation, the children see the domestic violence. You can't hide it from them. They know it. They feel it. They sense it. There's something going wrong. But the children go, oh, well, this is the relationship that mum and dad have. Mum and dad tell me this is a loving relationship. This is the way it should be. Again, that normalises it. And so when that child gets into a situation, they go, oh, this is just like mum and dad's, this is normal, I shouldn't expect anything better, and they just accept it. So we need that passion, that, that belief that, you know, the future can be better. The fourth thing is we need a plan. We need to know that if we implement these steps, it will be a positive action plan for the future, and it needs to be simple and easy to implement. Now, there's going to be struggles through this process, not just emotionally, but logistically, there's going to be struggles. Some of it's hard. But the plan needs to be easy to understand, easy to visualise, and that sense of optimism, I think I could put this plan into place and it will make my life better for the future. Understanding we're going to go through some struggles to get there, but that vision of something better in the future. And the last thing is, and there's lots of people doing this, but the last thing that a victim needs is to know that there is support and it's easy to access. Now, we have lots of support services in South Australia, and I'm sure they do it in America as well. We have them around Australia. We have support services. So that's there. But those first four phases also need to be addressed as well. That sense of optimism, a belief that you can influence the future, that passion for what life can be, and an easy to visualise plan so that you can access the support and implement all those things. Well, that's, that's great. Uh, would you, what would you like to add to that, Sergeant McQuinley? It's hard for any policing agency to be proactive. We are, uh, just by our, our, our nature and our uh, duties, are reactive. And to uh, become proactive is a uh, hard thing for policing agencies to do, to convince the officers that they can uh, be proactive rather than reactive. And it requires, like again, like a change agent. And then I don't know about uh, anywhere else in the world, but in America, I, you know, I like to say that uh, change in policing takes place at about the same rate as the evolution of a new species. You know, <laughs> these people are, are resistant to, uh, to change. Uh, could I just pick up on uh, that, uh, Sergeant McQuinley? I don't actually see this as the, the proactiveness 
as being a purely police problem. Well, I, I didn't even but, think it right. could be a police problem. I mean, uh, by definition, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't see how police can proactively, I mean, and, and please correct me, uh, how can police proactively prevent a crime like domestic well, the, violence? I this, mean, that's a societal issue. And, and that's exactly it. I, I believe this is a societal issue. Police can do as much as we can. We will try and we will support. And those programs we were talking about before of uh, changing the environment to reduce crime, if we can do things like that, sensational. But domestic violence is usually behind closed doors and police can't get in there. So this is a societal problem, not so much a police problem. Police are responding to it and we may be able to drive change, but it's a societal thing to, to actually fix. Some of the things that we tried to do that were proactive was that we were putting in the ladies' rooms and churches, grocery stores, any place that the public frequents, putting in little tabs that you can pull off. Are you being abused at home? Call this number. We can help. Those are one of the things that we did. And speaking of churches, I was on a committee of a bunch of pastors and laypersons that were uh, heavily involved in their churches. And we tried to put those information sheets in the churches, and most of them agreed, but there were some churches that were very vehemently opposed to putting that in their in the ladies' rooms. I don't understand why, but there were some that were opposed. And like Derek said, this is a, a societal problem that the police have been saddled with in trying to uh, address. And one of the things about uh, trying to be proactive with it is when she, I'm going to say she, because she is normally the victim. I've met ladies that have never written a check. I've met mm-hmm. ladies that had to have their driver's, their driver's license expired because her mate would not allow her to, to drive the car. He takes control of her life. And when she is minimalized as a person, you know, she feels like she's all alone. And to try to correct that, like what Derek was saying, certainly we should be trying to do those kind of things and let her know that there are options out there that are available to her. Uh, And it's not all just dark. There is light at the end of the tunnel and, and you can find help. Help is available if you're willing to take the first step and identify that you have the problem and that you would like to be a part of your own solution. But the women are usually so uh, ostracized from the rest of society that they feel that they cannot find any assistance anywhere and that if they try, that he will find out what's going on and he will intervene and she will be punished for that. When she tries to talk to her family, He says, you know, I really don't like you talking to your mom. Your mom's sticking her nose in our business all the time. I really don't like that. I wish you wouldn't talk to her so much. Same thing with her friends. Julie is always saying that you should be doing this or that or the other. Julie doesn't know anything about what's going on in our lives and what's important to you and me. And she gets, the woman gets blamed for practically everything. You really know how to push my buttons. Look what you made me do. And he's blaming her for all of his shortcomings, all of his failures as a, as a human. And try to be proactive with that lady, with that woman, you know, when she feels so ostracized and alone, that's a huge something to overcome for her. And if she does reach out like that, as Derek says, we've got to be right there with open arms and here's some way to help. And we've got a place for you and your kids to stay. And those programs exist. 
they're out here all over the country, all over the world, I'm sure. Well, maybe not all over the world, but most of most of the uh, English-speaking world, for sure. I don't know about places in the Middle East and things like that where uh, the woman is looked at as a possession. But certainly th- these things are available to uh, what the rest of us would call forward-thinking society. Yep, yep. I, um, I think it's probably important to just throw in here what's the definition of uh, domestic violence? Because a lot of people just go domestic violence as physical but as Sergeant McQuinley has spoken about already, it's not just physical. And I've just pulled up a definition here. Domestic violence is intimate partner violence or intimidation. It's heterosexual. It's same sex. It includes physical, verbal, emotional, economic, religious, reproductive, sexual abuse, rape in marriage, female genital mutilation, all those sorts of things. So we've got to not just go... Domestic violence, oh yeah, there's physical signs of it because a lot of the other reasons that people don't get out of violent, intimidating, controlling relationships is, well, I can tell people about it, but they won't believe me because there's no evidence. I can't show them anything. There's no physical resources that I can go, he is doing this to me. And when you try to explain it, sometimes you say, well, he's doing this and people go, yeah, but my husband does that as well. Or my wife does that as well, because this is not just a female victim. This is a male victim problem as well. So my partner does this. Oh, yeah, my partner does that too. And and you sort of go, oh, well, I shouldn't say anything. So we've got to look at it from so many different things. But that actual finding the evidence and being able to show evidence of it is something that stops people speaking out. But the awareness programs are now those things that are building the awareness that this is not just an isolated problem. You're not the only one. So it's a really good start, but we need to take that next step of being proactive and saying these are the tools, these are the strategies that you can implement to prevent it. All right. Well, on that powerful note, we'll hear from our sponsors. Yo. Ciao. Armando Paradiso from Unique Stone. Delivering quality stone tops to South Australia for over 20 years. Granite, marble, Caesar stone, unique stone, granito, marmo, Caesar stone, unique stone. Thinking stone bench tops to your kitchen, bathroom, or furniture? Unique stone at Jacobson Crescent, Holden Hill. Call us now, 8266-2280. Unique stone, we won't be beaten. Come on, che stai facendo? Yo, chiama adesso. O'Brien Electrical Adelaide, your local electrical electrician. Service and responsiveness for locally owned and operated businesses, their priority. 263 Sturt Street in the city, right alongside of Radio Italia Uno. Give them a call and speak with their friendly staff. Their number, 1300 051 482. Lo sapevi che l'82% delle persone richiama più facilmente il nome di un'azienda vedendolo scritto su carta che in una pubblicità sui social media? Continua a valorizzare i metodi più tradizionali, toccare e tenere nelle proprie mani biglietti da visita, calendari promozionali, cataloghi. Maria Studio Printing è il tuo partner creativo di stampa e di marketing ideale. Si occupano di graphic design, sviluppo web, gestione di stampa, routing CNC e 3D carving, fotografia commerciale e riprese, offrendo consegne nello stesso giorno 
giorno o entro tre giorni lavorativi. Maria Studio Printing può portare alla luce i tuoi progetti e crescere la tua impresa è facile. Per saperne di più, chiama l'8352-1268. Join me, Ron Fiedler and Karen Fiedler each Saturday morning from 9 to 10am for Talking Real Estate, your guide to real estate in Adelaide and South Australia. We'll bring you the latest local real estate news, interviews, tips and advice from property experts, plus report on the Italian property market and let you know about the week's open homes and upcoming auctions. And don't forget, I'll be bringing you my open home of the week. On Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM, Talking Real Estate, every Saturday morning from 9 till 10am. Be in the know with Adelaide's local real estate show. Radio Italia Uno, sito internet www.italiauno.com.au Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome back. In our last session, Derek really expanded, at least for me, the definition of domestic violence. And there was a point made over the break by Sergeant McQuinley that this is not just a one race, one strata of society issue. This crosses all boundaries, all races, all demographics, all groups. So I'll hand it over to Sergeant McQuinley to fully develop his point, and we'll open it up for general discussion. Most people believe that the perpetrators and the victims of domestic violence come from a lower socioeconomic group. Only poor people beat their wives. The uh, Italians are famous for beating their wives, da, da, da. You know, but it's not so. It it's it's crosses, as you said, all socioeconomic boundaries. When I mentioned earlier, I was working on a project with a, a bunch of pastors about putting some uh, proactive materials in their ladies' rooms in their churches. One of the pastors there told me of a story that uh, he knew, and I can't remember where it took place, but it was a man that was a pastor, and his wife always in the in the uh, first pew, always there supporting him. And if she did something that he felt was untoward or something that he took offense with, he would literally take her home, take her out to a, a, an outbuilding on the property and horsewhip her, literally horsewhip her. And now you know, this is a pastor. And granted, this is a, a rare instance of horrific abuse. And uh, please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that check with your pastor, make sure check with his wife, make sure that she's doing okay. You know, but it what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that it could be uh, Bill Gates or it could be somebody that's and I don't have any information that it is. Bill Gates. <laughs> Please don't sue Mr. Gates, because uh, all you would get from me is practice. But, uh, <laughs> but people think that only the uh, the lower class persons are, are uh, perpetrators and victims. It's just not so. It crosses racial, religious, ethnic, age, all boundaries that you can think of. Some of the uh, better known people that were uh, domestic abusers, Harry Morgan. Really? Colonel Potter on MASH. Yeah, Colonel yeah, Potter right. on MASH, yeah. Harry Morgan, Sean Connery. But uh, he said, yeah, occasionally uh, uh, slapping around a little bit. Uh, brings her back to reality or something to that effect. Sean Connery. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, you know, the, wow. And I can't remember who else, but there, uh, I used to carry a uh, 
poster board. Bing Crosby, I think. Of, uh, uh, people I think, that were. You think, remember saying that? I think Bing. No, but I think I remember Bing Crosby used to beat up his wife. Yeah, yeah, that was one of them. Yeah, and I can't remember who all, all they were, but they were actors. They were politicians. They were sports figures. People that are, are household names that uh, you would never suspect. The point is. Don't just assume that it's one group of people or class of people. It's all over the map. I, well, I'm sorry. A couple of quick things I wanted to yeah. say. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe that Jesus uh, said in the Sermon of the Mount, beat your wife with a horse whip. And uh, I do also think that I, I read really years and years ago, Bill Gates actually uh, – uh, this is 20 years ago, that if he dropped a $100 bill, they calculated that if he bent it over to pick it up, he wasted his time because he made more money if he would have just kept walking. But anyway, off the topic, but Derek, you, you had some points you wanted to make. Yeah, I'm, one of the things that I struggle with is that uh, we look back in history and we judge people on their behavior in that day Oh my gosh, by I our, agree. By our yeah. standards today. I agree. So, you know, back in the day, I'm not saying it's right in any way, shape, or form, but the expectation back 100 years ago is that a man would control his wife, and if he didn't control his wife, the other men would pick on him and ostracise him for not controlling his wife, and men were living to those standards. Now, this doesn't make it right, and I'm not trying to make it right. I'm not trying to justify it or, or anything else. It was wrong. But if we look at what the standards were in that day and what the expectations were, Men were living to those standards. Now we are more informed, but there are too many people who are still living by the standards of yesteryear rather than the standards we're trying to live today. And so I think these discussions about where it is happening, not just in the lower socioeconomic, but in the higher socioeconomic, everywhere in society, whether it be in religion, whether it be in politics, whether it be in generous areas of life, it happens. But it's not by everybody. It's by some significant people. But if we don't talk about it, if we're not aware of it, then those victims will just go, well, I'm the only one and everybody else thinks this is right. I can't talk up. We've got to be discussing these things and we've got to be aware of them. I think that point you made about judging people 100 years ago or 50 years ago by the standards of today is so powerful. And in America, I mean, that's happening. In Australia, it's happening. I mean, people, you know, recently wanted to tear down a statue of Abraham Lincoln commissioned by Frederick Douglass. And because they thought it was offensive because he was a racist or he was he was actually reaching down, helping somebody out of chains in this in this statue. And I mean, this is the man that in the 1830s was the first politician, first major politician anyway, to my knowledge, that came out for women's suffrage in 1830. Yeah. But it took another 90 years to pass. This yeah. is the guy that did the Emancipation Proclamation that said malice towards none, that passed the 16th Amendment to give the, the freed slaves the right to vote. And yet you, you, we're judging give- him, we're judging him and saying that he's not acceptable today and he was a racist well no he wasn't he was a progressive so you better give people a, a, the australian people a background on why they want to tear down the statue well oh. i mean the point the point abraham lincoln was the president of the united states during the civil war he was the one that won the civil war he freed the slaves with the emancipation proclamation yep. and he passed the 16th amendment to the constitution which gave african americans the right to vote and equality under the law whereas before yep. the dred scott decision said they were only three-fifths of a person. 
A black person was three-fifths of a person under constitutional law. Yeah. So, and he's demonized today because he was a racist. They say he was a racist. He didn't think black people were equal. Or, and the f- statue of him is him reaching down to free somebody in bondage. Yeah. And that's a negative perception of African-Americans that they were weak or something to that effect. Oh, right. Okay. You know, which, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It was commissioned by the head. I mean, the great, one of the greatest civil rights leaders, at least in the top three in United States history, Frederick Douglass, an escaped and freed slave himself who fought his entire life for the equality of his race. And he commissioned it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yet yeah. today it's offensive. So that gives it good. So I mean, basically, the idea is we sit, we sit back, and we look at these people in history who got us where we are today, who got us in the situation where we can have these debates, where we can major in minor things, and domestic violence isn't a minor thing, but we can. Our problems are now first world problems because of the soldiers of giants and the ancestors that we have built upon, and we vilify them. It's ridiculous to hold my grandfather to the same standards that you would hold me to or my son. Yep, 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 absolutely. But it doesn't make their behaviors back then right. No, of course not. But but it's the standards that they were living by. But you've got to, again, you quoted the other day Stephen Covey. You know, you have to understand, you have to seek first to understand and then be understood. you got to understand the situation, where they were coming from. And what the world was like 120 years ago or in, 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 in 1865 when he freed the slaves. So one thing I do want to say, and I'm going to walk on eggshells here, and 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 and, uh, but there is a small problem that there are women that have actually used weaponized the idea of domestic violence. I think everybody should be believed, but for example, my own brother, when he got divorced, was accused of domestic violence. Later in the divorce proceedings, the ex-wife admitted that. She saw on law and order that she would get a better deal in the divorce settlement if she claimed that. So how do we combat the whole, you know, maybe she's crying wolf attitude and continue with the attitude that, you know, somebody's guilty while until proven innocent, but still protect the people that need protecting? That's what police investigations are for. Okay. So don't jump to conclusions. We don't just take people at their word. Okay. You know, there has to be some semblance of proof or or physical proof or even intangible proof that lends credence to that person's story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sergeant McQuinley has just alluded to the fact that we've got to see some sort of physical or tangible proof again. And when it's social isolation and those sorts of things uh, being domestic violence, there is no physical, there is no tangible. It's just something you feel in yourself that this is wrong. And, and you know, you can bring up examples and all sorts of stuff, but some people still won't see the physical evidence. And this is where I, I go back to if you believe it's having a negative effect on the greater part of your life, then you've got to do something about it. But it, when you say you're walking on eggshells bringing up this subject, it really is one of those subjects because most of the men's groups will say that domestic violence and allegations have been weaponized, and women use them too often. I think... Police investigations, evidence and statistics show that the number of false reports is in the point percentage. It doesn't even make a full 1%, but the 99 point something are real 
and valid complaints. Really? And yeah, yeah. That's a the, statistic I wasn't aware of. That's great. It, it, and I've never seen the statistic written down. I've been privy to false reports myself. Uh, oh, sorry, a false report. So I've seen it, but in my opinion, 99 point something percent of complaints are real, valid. And one of the problems people also have is, oh, that's not a big complaint. That's not a big problem. It's only a little bit of domestic violence. It is domestic violence and it's real and it has an impact and it needs to be dealt with. Well, if it doesn't have get dealt with it escalates i mean right not to say that little things aren't that's a problem gonna, but little problems become big problems yeah that, and, we, and we need to get into it in the embryonic stage and deal with it in the embryonic stage and if we are taught how to manage it and this goes back to the management first if we if we are taught how to manage these things we can hit them when they're in the embryonic stage turn them around and people can have more chance of having great relationships which are good for both parties. Anything you'd like to add to that, Serge McQuinley? Only that I was going to reiterate the same thing that uh, that Derek said, that uh, if we can uh, address it when it's a small issue, instead of saying, oh, okay, so he yelled at you and he threw a pillow at you. Really, lady? You want him to go to jail over that? Really? Well, Maybe he shouldn't go to jail. Okay. But how about we document it at the very least and, and see that there's something there, there is a, a, a seed that's been planted there and uh, given the right circumstances, it will grow. And we need to be able to look back on say, okay, it's escalated from that to this and from that, from this to something else. Yeah. It needs to be at the very least documented. Uh, now, you know, going back to your discussion about slavery, back in the day when slavery was a big thing, people would have said slavery is going to be here forever, you know, but someone took issue with it, someone became proactive about it, and slavery for the majority of the world has been eliminated. We can do the same with domestic violence, but it's not a police problem, it's societal. Society needs to step up. We're now aware of it. We need to take some proactive steps to be able to minimize it and eliminate it if we can. Well, as always, Derek gave a brilliant insight, and that's they can't be topped. So we're going to go to uh, hear some words from our sponsors. At Elders Insurance Adelaide East, our mission is to provide outstanding service and superior coverage to each and every one of our clients. With over 30 years of experience, we treat every client with mutual respect and understanding. We'll listen carefully to your specific needs and requirements in order to develop insurance solutions with a level of service and coverage you can't find anywhere else. Elders Insurance Adelaide East is a family-owned and run business with Italian tradition, which is built on honesty, integrity and trust. Make an appointment today and go and see Tony and the team at Elders Insurance Adelaide East, 54 to 56 Kensington Road, Rose Park or telephone 8364 9477. We're an authorised representative of Elders Insurance, underwriting agency, Proprietary Limited, Elders Insurance, underwritten by QBE Insurance, Australia Limited. Hello, I'm Peter Salerno. Please join me on Happy Business Radio every Monday, 2 to 3 p.m. on Radio Italia Uno. We have lots of fun with very interesting guests. We talk about how to start, build and increase your business. 
Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Vuoi promuovere la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Radio Italia 1. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hi, we're back with our discussion on domestic violence. We have in our studio Sergeant McQuinley, retired from the Chicagoland Police Department, and Derek McManus, a 42-year veteran of the South Australian Police Department. And in our last few moments, I'd like to open it up for a discussion on what are the subtle signs that we can pick up on domestic violence? How can we possibly help those people and convince those people to get out of that situation. Sergeant McQuinley? One of the subtle indications of domestic violence is when she continues to defer to him or when he is speaking and she says something interrupting him and he gives the sideways glance and she immediately withdraws. She, uh, perhaps walks behind him instead of with him. Those are a couple of the little nuances that might pop up a red flag, making people wonder uh, what's going on there. Is there something a little bit deeper going on between the two of them? As far as how to get them some help, how to get them out of there, I think we covered a lot of that information today, and that was trying to uh, get the information out into uh, locations where the ladies are going to be going. One of the places that we forgot to mention, Matt, was the uh, hair salons. Women will talk a lot at the hair salons, and they will uh, provide information to their hairdressers that they will not talk to with other people. That's one of the places where we tried to uh, put in some proactive uh, information bulletins and things like that. Derek, what would you like to add? Um, it's really hard to uh, to nuance what is the sign of domestic violence. Even bruising and things like that are not absolute uh, signs of domestic violence. So I think one of the biggest things that we can be aware of is changes in personality, changes in behaviour from when they start in a relationship to where they are now. Now, that's not something that uh, you can pick up after meeting someone in knowing them just three weeks. This is something that family would notice over a period of time. But if you are talking to someone, sometimes there's just bits and pieces in their behavior. And I, I, I recognize them when I see them. I can't articulate them now. It's just one of those things that as a cop for 42 years, I've learned to pick up some of these signs and, and I can't articulate what those signs are. But sometimes you can pick up, as Marshall was saying, there are nuances that people have And when you see that, it may be the deference to somebody else. It may be the reservation about talking out about something. Sometimes it's hard, but we've got to identify whether it's a normal personality trait because some people are just naturally deferring to others. They don't have confidence in their intelligence, Um, but it's the changes. If somebody has a sudden change in their personality where they're not as bold, they're not as brave, they're not as open, they're not as connected to family, then it could be signs of domestic violence. And any other ways that we can convince people to get out of that situation? I think we've talked a lot about the ways to get people, the, that people can get out of that situation. But if you'll allow me just a little bit of personal thought processes here, 
You mentioned earlier the uh, American president, Abraham Lincoln. When I retired, I sent an email out to all the officers that were uh, on on our internal intranet and said that uh, I tried to live my life by quotes from two different politicians who both lived in uh, different centuries and were uh, from different political parties. And I think this kind of has a, a, a reference to the topic that we were talking about. Abraham Lincoln said to truly test a man's character, give him power, give him power. Yes. Yeah. And if he has the power over his mate and he uses that power improperly, then we know what his character is. The other is Robert Kennedy, who said some men see things as they are, say why. I dream things that were never were and say, why not? Why can't we address some of these issues and why can't we? make this something that 50 years from now, remember that? They were talking about that then. Really? That we I can't imagine why we would be doing that today. I would like to see that happen sometime, but probably decades away from that point. Wow, that was wonderful. Can't add to that. I just want to thank uh, Sergeant McQuinley for being involved in this series on policing and domestic violence. And I'd like to thank Derek McManus for being involved as well. Uh, you, Derek does have a uh, business called the Australian Center for Human Durability. He is a public speaker and leadership management consultant, and you can utilize his services on www.derrickmcmanus.com, spelled D-E-R-R-I-C-K-M-C-M-A-N-U-S.com. And if you can't afford a high-quality speaker like Derek, I'm also available <laughs> and a leadership business consultant and public speaker. So there's the A team there in Derek, and then there's the B team available as well. So thanks a lot. Join us next week, Monday at 6 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley. As always, I will leave you with a quick inspirational story. Recently, public perception of police has plummeted because of mistakes, albeit horrible ones, a few police officers have made. In 2020, 1,021 people were killed by police or died in their custody, including 39 unarmed suspects in the United States. The consensus is, and rightly so, that this is too many. What standard are we holding our police to? Well, out of over 10 million arrests in the United States, for example, and tens of millions of interactions, that represents 0.0001% of deaths versus arrests and 0.000039% of deaths versus arrests for unarmed suspects. If you consider all police interactions, this number is probably 10 times again lower. Since we've agreed that one death, especially of an unarmed suspect, is too many, I think it's time that we hold ourselves accountable to the same standards. This reminds me of a story I read about the space shuttle. The space shuttle was designed by our best and brightest. It has over two and a half million parts, if you don't count the software. It has over 200 miles, roughly 322 kilometers of just wiring. So if 1% of the parts aren't functioning correctly, that means you have 25,000 potential problems. At 0.1%, you have 2,500 problems. At 0.01%, you have 250 problems. At 0.001%, you have 25 problems. And finally, at 0.0001%, 
the standard to which we hold the police, you still have 2.5 problems on the space shuttle. When the Challenger space shuttle blew up, it was traced back to an O-ring, which is probably one of the least expensive, least technical, more common pieces on this billion dollar spacecraft. This tiny margin of error cost seven lives and set the space program back substantially. If we continue in this vein, I found in my files recently an article from over 30 years ago that talked about if 99.9% was good enough in the United States. If 99.9% is actually good enough, that means that 1,314 phone calls would have been placed incorrectly by the phone company. That also means that 12 babies would be given to the wrong person every single day. That means 14,208 faulty computers would have been shipped. That also means that 5.5 million soft drinks would have been shipped every day that were flat. That also means that there would have been two unsafe plane landings at O'Hare International Airport every day in Chicago. It means that 18,322 pieces of mail would be mishandled every hour in the United States. It also means that 20,000 medications will be prescribed incorrectly. It means that 114,500 mismatched pairs of shoes will be made this year. It also means that 107 incorrect medical procedures would be done today. And 314 entries in Webster's Dictionary would have been misspelled. My first swim coach had a sign on the wall that said, Strive for Excellence. When I was growing up as a young man and a child in the 80s and 90s, we always talked about positive dissatisfaction, which we don't really talk about anymore. Positive dissatisfaction means you can be okay with what you did, with what you did, but you could always do better. And Vince Lombardi, famous gridiron coach, used to tell us that winning isn't a sometimes thing, it's an all the time thing. We need to remember to strive for excellence and that 99% is not good enough. And there are two kinds of people right now listening to this message. One kind that says 99% is good enough. And then the other person that says 99% is not good enough. I'm going to strive for excellence. The question is, as always, which one are you?